Uh, Take your Bibles out and turn with me this morning to 2 Corinthians after this morning. We'll probably put our Corinthian Corinthian series on hold and uh, beginning next week cover some uh, Christmas themes. But if you'd find 2 Corinthians 7 this morning, the importance of proper relationships. You know, folks, it's... uh, spelled out very clearly in the Word of God that there are two relationships that you and I are called upon to give attention to. There's the vertical relationship on the one hand and then there are the horizontal relationships on the other hand. Now the vertical relationship, of course, is that relationship that we have with Jesus Christ. We know that He is to be first in our life and we're to grow in the Lord and that relationship needs to be in good order. In fact, if the vertical relationship is not in good order, little else in our lives will fall into place the way it should, at least from an eternal perspective. And then there's the horizontal relationships, the relationships that you and I have with one another in the body of Christ. Now, As we look at our text this morning, we see that 2 Corinthians 7 has to do with the horizontal relationships. Paul is talking about his relationship with the Corinthians. Now folks, as we think of the horizontal relationships, our relationships with one another, I want you to think with me a moment about all of the one another's in the scripture. Uh, For instance, we are to greet one another. We are to comfort one another. We are to forgive one another. We are to build one another up. We are to bear one another's burdens. We are to encourage one another. We are to meet with one another in worship. We are to be kind and tender-hearted to one another. We are to receive one another as Christ has received us. We are to care for one another. We are to minister to one another. We are to show hospitality to one another. And we are to pray for one another. Thirteen one another statements in the Bible. And so very clearly relationships not only matter to us, but they matter to God. In fact, God even goes so far in the New Testament to give us a passage in Matthew 18 that gives us instructions on how to deal with relationships that have gone sour. You know, it makes me think of that little saying, to live above with saints we love, that will be glory, but to live below with saints we know, now that's a different story. Chapter 7 highlights the relationship Paul had uh, with the Corinthians and how that relationship had gone astray. But what we'll also see is the steps that Paul took to get it right again. And so what we learn in this section of this chapter is not only the value God puts on relationships, but the steps that you and I need to take in our lives when there are relationships that we enjoy that are not right anymore. 
Now let's see how that unfolds in chapter 7. Stand with me for the reading of God's word. And we're going to begin in verse 2. Paul says there, make room in your hearts for us. We've wronged no one. We have corrupted no one. We've taken advantage of no one. I do not say this to condemn you, for I said before that you are in our hearts to die together and to live together. I am acting with great boldness toward you. I have great pride in you. I am filled with comfort. In all our affliction, I am overflowing with joy. For even when we came into Macedonia, our bodies had no rest, but we were afflicted at every turn, fighting without and fear within. But God, who comforts the downcast, comforted us by the coming of Titus. And not only by his coming, but also by the comfort with which he was comforted by you. As he told us of your longing, your mourning, your zeal for me, so that I rejoiced still more. For even if I made you grieve with my letter, I do not regret it, though I did regret it. For I see that that letter grieved you, though only for a while. As it is, I rejoice, not because you were grieved, but because you were grieved unto repenting. For you felt a godly grief, so that you suffered no loss through us. For godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret, whereas worldly grief produces death. For see what earnestness this godly grief has produced in you, but also what earnestness to clear yourselves. What indignation, what fear, what longing, what zeal, what punishment. At every point you have proved yourselves innocent in the matter. So although I wrote to you, it was not for the sake of the one who did the wrong, nor for the sake of the one who suffered the wrong, but in order that your earnestness for us might be revealed to you in the sight of God. Therefore we are comforted and besides our own comfort, we rejoiced still more at the joy of Titus because his spirit has been refreshed by you all. Father, we are so grateful that as we think about the Christian life, One of the things that brings us the greatest amount of joy is the brothers and sisters in Christ that we have. The relationships that we have. The brotherhood of believers. That we do have the opportunity to pray for one another. To encourage one another. To build one another up. And God, we thank you for the value that you place on those relationships in the Bible. We pray, God, that you would open our hearts and minds this morning to understand your word. And if in anything we determine that there is a relationship that has gone wrong, that in very practical ways this week, perhaps even this very day, we would take steps to get that right. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now folks, the very first thing that I want you to see in our passage this morning, Paul writes in, the, in verses 2 through 4 that we are to love one another. 
We are to love one another. Look again at those verses, verses 2 through 4. He says, make room in your hearts for us, for we have wronged no one. We have corrupted no one. We have taken advantage of no one. I do not say this to condemn you, for I said before that you are in our hearts to die together and to live together. Paul desired to be right with the Corinthians. And he is appealing to them in this passage that they would reciprocate. He has made room in his heart for them. He is appealing to them that they would make room in their hearts for him. Folks, you know that in the Bible, that is one of the marks of sonship that the Bible talks about. Love for the brethren. In fact, in 1 John chapter 3, John writes, We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. Whoever does not love abides in death. There are a number of places in that first epistle of John where John says, We know, we know of a certainty that we are passed from death to life because we love the brethren. The love that believers have for one another is one of the assurances that the Bible gives us that God has done a work in our hearts. You know, I think of the relationships that Jesus spoke to his disciples about in John chapter 15. Now in John 15, Judas Iscariot has slipped out of their midst to go and betray the Lord. And so Jesus in John 15 is talking to those 11 disciples and he is preparing them for the three relationships that they are going to need to give attention to once he leaves them. First of all, he says, you're going to need to give attention to your relationship to me. Jesus said, I'm the vine, you're the branches, you can do nothing apart from me, and you are nothing apart from me. And so over and over in John 15, Jesus says, abide in me and let my words abide in you. We are to abide in Christ. Well, secondly, in that passage, Jesus prepared his disciples that they needed to be ready to love one another. He said, love one another even as I have loved you. In fact, he said, your love that you have for one another is to be a sign to the world that you belong to me. The world is going to look at the love that Christians have for one another and that is going to be a testimony to the world. And then finally in John 15, Jesus said you need to understand your relationship to the world. That the world is going to hate you and despise you because it hated me. And the servant is not greater than the master. But this morning we're concentrating on that second group that he talked about. He said, you need to understand your relationship to one another. You need to love one another. And that's what Paul is pointing out here, that in the body of Christ there needs to be Christian love. That's what he's appealing for here. And a very important aspect of loving one another is honesty and commitment. He covers that in verse 2. 
In verse 2 he says, look folks, I've done you no wrong. I've opened my heart to you. And now you need to open your heart to me. We're going to live together and die together. He's talking to them about honesty and commitment. Paul was able to say that he had been honest with them. He had lived among them with integrity. He had not wronged any of them. He had not taken advantage of any of them. And Paul had even done an amazing thing among the Corinthians. Paul was a tent maker. He was bivocational. He supported himself. Now Paul wrote in other places... That the servant of God is worthy of his wages. In fact, in the pastoral epistles, he even talked about those spiritual leaders that, that do well at teaching and giving instruction from the word or even worthy of double wages. And he went on and on and on to talk about the, the laborer is worthy of his wages. But when it came to the Corinthians, he understood that they were a touchy bunch. And Paul, therefore, he supported himself. He was a tent maker along with Aquila and Priscilla because Paul didn't want there to be anything that the Corinthians could use against him to accuse him. Folks, it is important in our relationships with one another that we are honest, that we are filled with integrity, and that there is no occasion for wrongdoing. And I want you to notice in verse 3, he says that they were committed to one another to the point that they would either live or die together. Now that's the kind of commitment we need among Christians where we would even lay down our lives for one another if need be. Don't be like that young man that I read about. He had dinner with his fiance one evening at a restaurant And he was taking that occasion to tell her how much he loved her. That he was willing to pour out his heart to her and all of his worldly goods and and all of his riches. He just didn't want to hold anything back. And finally the waiter came with the check. And he told the waiter, could you make that two checks please? We're not to be that way with one another. We see that it is important to live clean. It's important to be at at peace with others as far as it depends on us. Paul knew that he had not set up any kind of scenario that could have been used as an offense to others. Now folks, let's ask ourselves this morning. How do we live? Do we live with honesty towards others? Do we live with integrity? Do we live in such a way that there is no hidden motive, there's no taking advantage of others? You see, the Scripture's appeal is that you and I would live the same way. So how about you? Is there an open line of communication between you and others? Do you work at relationships? Because oftentimes they take work. Do your brothers and sisters in the Lord know that you would even lay down your life for them? When there is that kind of openness and honesty and commitment and integrity, love can grow and grow and grow and it can prosper. And so we are to love one another. 
But a second principle that he lays down here is that we need to put Christ first in our relationships. Pick up reading in verse 4. He says, I'm acting with great boldness toward you. I have great pride in you. I'm filled with comfort. In all our affliction, I'm overflowing with joy. For even when we came into Macedonia, our bodies had no rest. But we were afflicted at every turn. Fighting without and fear within. But God who comforts the downcast comforted us by the coming of Titus. And not only by his coming but also by the comfort with which he was comforted by you. As he told us of your longing, your mourning, your zeal for me. So that I rejoice still more. For even if I made you grieve with my letter I do not regret it. Though I did regret it, for I see that that letter grieved you, though only for a while. Christ needs to be in control of all of our relationships. We need to put Him first. Now here, Paul was concerned that his relationship with the church at Corinth had gone somewhat sour. Now let's remember for a moment what had happened. Paul had sent Timothy to the Corinthians. And the Corinthians had not received him well at all. Timothy came back and he reported to the Apostle Paul all of the problems and all of the fighting and all of the division that they were having there at Corinth. Well, Paul turned around and he went to them. And when he got there, they didn't receive him well either. Because there was an anti-Paul faction that had grown in the church. And Paul ended up being deeply hurt by that visit. Well, when Paul left, he wrote a very severe letter to them that he talks about in earlier chapters in 2 Corinthians. He wrote a very severe letter to them. And back then, you didn't always do like we do today, just drop a letter in the mail and send it off. He gave this letter to Titus. And he had Titus to deliver this letter, this severe letter to the Corinthians. And then Paul was going to go on to Troas and wait there for Titus. Well, guess what? Titus never came. And as day after day went by, Paul got very anxious to know the outcome of the severe letter. And how had they responded to Titus? Had they received him or not? Had they received Paul's correction or not? And day after day, Titus didn't show. Paul got very upset, very anxious. He says in chapter 2 that even though he had an open door of ministry there in Troas, because he had no peace in his heart, he kind of closed down shop in Troas, and he went over to Macedonia to hunt for Titus. And when he finally found Titus, Titus had great news. Titus had a good report for Paul. They had received the severe letter well. They had dealt with all the troublemakers in the church. And their their love for the apostle Paul had been renewed. Now as you can imagine, that greatly encouraged the heart of the apostle Paul. 
But I want you to realize it was all because Paul was their spiritual father and the bond in Christ that he thought he had with him that caused this uneasiness. You see, Paul was concerned not that they had just walked away from him. Paul was concerned they had walked away from God and from the gospel. Their whole relationship together there at Corinth and and with Paul, their whole relationship there had been based and built upon the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul had gone to Corinth preaching the gospel. He said, I determined to know nothing among you except Christ and Him crucified. And Paul had seen a great number of folks at Corinth come to faith in Jesus. And a church was established there and built. Their whole relationship with the apostle was built upon Jesus Christ. And it was because of that that Paul was so anxious. He did not want to see that relationship damaged in any way. Folks, it is important to have Christ in all of our relationships because He changes the way that we act toward people. He changes our attitudes. He changes all of our motives, all of our actions. There is a bond, in fact, that exists between Christian brothers and sisters. Have you noticed that? You can go anywhere in the world. And where you go in the world, you worship, you find a church and you go to that church and you worship with your brothers and sisters in the Lord and instantly there is a common bond between believers. The Bible calls it koinonia, fellowship. Now the world has fellowship, but so oftentimes it's just based upon parties or circumstances or whatever. But our fellowship, our koinonia in the church is a bond that the Holy Spirit creates. And the koinonia that we experience is supposed to be deeper and richer than any koinonia we would experience anywhere else. And when God's at this center of our relationships, we don't want to hurt one another. We don't want to hurt our brothers and sisters in the Lord. We recognize like Paul did before Paul was converted. You remember the lesson Paul learned about this? We learned that when we hurt God's children, who else do we hurt? We hurt God. There Paul was, for instance, on the road to Damascus. Rabbi Saul. Before he became a believer, he was on the road to Damascus and he was going up there to seize Christians to bring them back to Jerusalem and put them on trial and put them in prison and have some of them even put to death because of their faith in Christ. And Jesus appeared to Paul. And you remember that question Jesus asked Paul? He didn't say, Paul, why do you persecute The Christians, he said, Paul, why are you persecuting me? And so when we hurt God's children, we hurt Christ himself. That was the lesson that Paul learned. And so these bonds that we have in friendships with fellow Christians are even stronger or should be stronger than any friendships in the world. When God is at the center of your relationships, you don't use people, 
You don't abuse people. You don't take advantage of others. You don't lie to people or about them. God is the driving force behind everything that you do. Is that the way your relationships are? Is Christ at the center? If Christ is at the center, there's there's a bonus. If Christ is at the center of your relationships, there's a bonus in this. Look at what he goes on to say uh, in in verse 5 where he says near the end that there were fightings without and fears within, but God who comforts the downcast comforted us by the coming of Titus. You see what he's saying there? If Christ is at the center of everything, when things do go wrong and you're trying to get everything right, the Lord Jesus is there with you. He's the God of all comfort. He comforts us in all of our afflictions, all of our troubles, all of our our anxieties. Paul says we were afflicted. There were these conflicts within and fears, uh, conflicts without and fears within. But he goes on there in verse 6 to say that God who comforts the depressed comforted us by the coming of Titus. What am I saying? I'm saying when God is at the center of your life and the center of your relationships and you're trying to do the right thing even when some relationship has gone wrong, God is right there with you to help you. That's a bonus that we have. And you know, that's what Jesus was telling the disciples there in Matthew 18. Listen to what Jesus said in Matthew 18. Now folks, I'm glad I'm able to preach this passage this morning simply because it's the next passage that comes up in 2 Corinthians. As far as I know, there's, there's, I'm not aware of any relationships gone sour in the fellowship, and I'm thankful for that. But as a word of prevention, I want you to notice what Jesus says there in Matthew 18 about steps we're to take, and then where we're going to end up in Matthew 18 is I want you to see how Jesus says as you do these steps, He'll be there right there for you, even as Paul said, God was there for us to comfort us in our distress. In verse 15, uh, Jesus says, If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault. Paul had written the Corinthians a letter. Go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you've gained your brother. But if he does not listen, take one or two others along with you. That every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. Truly I say to you, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Again I say to you that if two two of you agree on earth about anything they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered in my name, there am I among them. Now follow the chain here. You see what Jesus is saying? We go to our brothers or sisters first, eyeball to eyeball, uh, facing them, dealing with the situation with only the offended party involved, them alone. We try to handle it that way. 
Now boy, that's a challenge the church needs to hear today. Because what's the world do today? The world, boy, what do they do? They, they go, something goes wrong and they immediately go to their Twitter feed. And they post what's wrong. Or they go to their Facebook page and they air out all their feelings and all their dirty laundry about what's happened, what's gone sour. Folks, that's not the way Christians deal with it. That's the way the ungodly and the wicked and the worldly deal with things. Nothing in Matthew 18 about social media. In fact, what's he say? You go one-on-one to the offended person first and you settle it that way. Then if you need to bring in a witness, you do. If that still fails, you keep enlarging the circle, then tell it to the whole church. Jesus said if he still doesn't listen, treat him as an outcast. But I want you to see what I want you to focus in on there at the end of this Matthew 18 uh, passage is the promise that we have. You see, a lot of times, folks, this promise here is used in the wrong way among Christians. We use it kind of as a blanket promise about whatever's bound and we're to agree. But the context is when we're trying to get things that have gone wrong in order Jesus says, you can know where two of you agree on anything. I'm right there with you. I'm helping you. Well, that was Paul's point. Paul's point to them is while he was trying to get everything straightened out with the Corinthians, God was there with him and God was the God of all comfort who was helping him in all of his distresses. Isn't that beautiful? God comforts us. He comforts His servants because He's the God of all comfort. But folks, the reason this whole relationship was the way it was between Paul and the Corinthians was because Christ was first place. Christ was at the center of the relationship that Paul had with the Corinthians. What he was doing, he wasn't doing simply for his own sake. He was doing because he knew, he was doing what he was doing because he knew that's what Christ would do. Third principle I want you to see here is that true repentance in relationships leads to joy and deepened fellowship. True repentance. Look at verse 8. For even if I made you grieve with my letter, I do not regret it. Though I did regret it, for I see that the letter, that, that letter grieved you, though only for a while. As it is, I rejoice. Not because you were grieved, but because you were grieved into repenting. I want you to listen to what he says here. For you felt a godly grief so that you suffered no loss through us. For godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret, whereas worldly grief produces death. For we see what earnestness this godly grief has produced in you, but also what eagerness to clear yourselves, what indignation, what fear, what longing, what zeal, What punishment? At every point you proved yourselves innocent in the matter. What comforted Paul most in the relationship that he had with the Corinthians is that they had responded so well, so beautifully to his correction. 
What's the book of Proverbs say about this? The book of Proverbs says that if you correct or you discipline a godly man, he's going to love you for it. He's going to appreciate the correction. And he's going to make change. He's going to learn from that. And he's going to do something with your correction. But Solomon went on in Proverbs to say, you correct an ungodly man. What's he going to do? He's going to hate you and turn on you. He's going to despise you. Well, what had happened there at Corinth? Paul had, out of a, a grief in his heart, a deep grief in his heart, had left Corinth so burdened about how they were acting and this anti-Paul faction. He, he went there to, to, to Troas and he, and he wrote this letter. He wrote this severe letter to them and he sent it to them where he disciplined them and he corrected them. And in the long run, he finds out that they have responded so beautifully to this letter. He regretted having to have that scenario. It's a position he would have never have wanted to be in. But though he regretted the situation, he didn't regret what God did through it. He didn't allow the situation to fester. And when the Corinthians received this letter, they read the letter, they took it to heart, they concluded that Paul was right all along. And he says, when they realized this, what did they do? They repented. They repented. But folks, I want us to camp out on that just for a second because there is a, there is a, a principle to be learned here about repentance and sorrow that goes far beyond just this situation in 2 Corinthians 7. Paul talks, he contrasts a worldly sorrow with a true repentance. And boy, what a lesson that is for us. A worldly sorrow, a person may get caught doing something or may get called on the carpet about doing something, they may end up being sorrowful over it, maybe sorrowful that they got called or something, or can't continue to do it. They might cry a river of tears, but there's no change. They go on and they continue to do that in their life. And then there's others that repent. This sorrow leads to a godly repentance. How do you tell the difference? You tell the difference by the outcome. A person who is sorrowful over something, sorry over some wrong that they've done, and, and when they're confronted by this situation or convicted by it, what do they do? They may weep, but they also make changes in their life. You know, who I, th I think of several scenarios in the New Testament. Remember what John the Baptist told the Pharisees? He said, you brood of vipers. Boy, how about that for being blunt? When they came out where John was baptizing, he said, you brood of vipers. Who warned you about the judgment to come? You need to go and do the works of repentance. I think of Simon Peter. Simon Peter denied the Lord not once, not twice, but three times. And when the cock crowed, 
it was brought to Peter's mind what Jesus had said. And the Bible says Peter went out and wept. He was sorrowful, but we know the outcome of that story. By the outcome of that story with Simon Peter, we know that Peter genuinely repented. He was a changed apostle. When Jesus was raised from the dead and the ladies witnessed that, Jesus told them, go tell my disciples and Peter to meet me in Galilee. You see, Jesus knew Peter had repented and he still included Peter in his work. On the other hand, there was Judas. Judas, when he learned what all had happened, he took those 30 pieces of silver and he went before the religious leaders and he threw that silver back at them that they had paid him to betray the Lord Jesus. He threw that silver back at them and the Bible says Judas went and hanged himself. He was sorrowful but not repentant. There's a difference between sorrow and repentance. Somebody in the world, an unbeliever even, may be sorrowful. But if that's all they are, Paul says right here, that kind of sorrow that belongs to the world, it leads to death. There's no change. But repentance, on the other hand, leads to salvation. It leads to salvation. There are multitudes of people running around. They think they've repented. And all they've done is they've been sorrowful. And you know that because they keep doing whatever it was they're sorrowful over. They just keep it up. I've dealt with couples before. Who one of them was unfaithful to the other. Got caught. Cried like a baby. It caught up with them. But then as the weeks and months go by, they go out and do it again. Is that repentance? No. Repentance is when somebody changes and God does a fresh work in their hearts. You know, a perfect example in the Old Testament of true repentance was King King David. Nathan came to King David after his affair with Bathsheba. And he said, David, he pointed that finger and said, told, told that parable about the little sheep. And he pointed that finger at David and said, David, you are the man. And the Bible says David was broken over that. Now we know he wasn't broken simply because he got caught. We have Psalm 51, Psalm 32 and Psalm 51 that show us how repentant he was. In Psalm 51 he said, God I realize that against you I have sinned and I want you to create in me a clean heart and renew a steadfast spirit within me and then I will be able to teach sinners your ways. Nathan's finger pointed at him, did him some good. He went out and he changed. That's repentance and Paul is saying about the Corinthians it was tough to write this letter to you and I had regrets about it but yet when I see what God did through that letter I don't have any regrets because you were moved not just to worldly sorrow but to repentance and notice what Paul says happened because of that 
In verse 11, he talks about how they had renewed their zeal for the gospel and their relationship to Paul. They had acted with a godly fear. And so Paul says, seeing that had revived his comfort and his joy. You see what he's saying there? His relationship to the Corinthians had only been enhanced. It had been deepened. Because two parties that were estranged had come back together. Had the letter not accomplished that and the Corinthians had continued to go their own way, there would have been this continuing divide that just got bigger and bigger. But Paul said because they repented, uh, they, they, they took it to heart. Paul said our fellowship, our, our comfort, our joy, the fellowship was only deepened. It was only better. That's what happens where there's true repentance involved. Folks, you see what the Bible is saying here? The Bible is telling us that relationships matter. Relationships matter. As a pastor, I have done dozens and dozens and dozens and dozens and dozens of funerals. I've even been there when the loved one was about to pass and go on to be with the Lord. And to date, as I've listened to some of their conversations, as their siblings and children and grandchildren are gathered around, I have never yet heard a dying person say, go and get my boss because I want to close one more deal. I've never heard anybody say that. Don't expect to. But I have heard some very meaningful conversations that they've had with their loved ones. Because they realize it's the last time they're going to speak to them on this side. What's it show you? It shows you that in the final analysis with people, it's relationships that matter relationships. I want to give you three truths, three lessons about this in closing. Number one, I want you to understand that relationships are worth investing in. Relationships matter. Relationships are worth investing in. What if Paul would have just written the Corinthians off? Somebody says, I'd have just written them off. No. Instead, he lovingly dealt with the situation. He opened his heart to them. He even took the risk of being rejected. He met the conflict head on. He did exactly what Jesus pointed out in Matthew 18. And because of that, there was reconciliation and deepened fellowship. Lesson number two sorrow or sadness over something we've done wrong must not be viewed as repentance. You can go out and do something in your life. Some private sin, public sin, whatever. Whether somebody else is involved or not. There can be sorrow in your heart. But if you go out and do it again, you can even be sorrowful to the point you cry about it. But unless you take actions to change, 
It's not repentance. It's not repentance. There's a difference. Thirdly, a third lesson, we must rejoice with those who've repented and encourage them. What if Paul would have found out the Corinthians had listened to his letter, responded to it, and then Paul said, you know what, I'm still not going to have anything to do with you. Paul didn't continue after that to remind them of their faults. He welcomed the relationship back and he encouraged them and he talked about his joy over their repentance. He didn't continue to hold it over their heads. When somebody repents, we need to encourage them. We need to encourage them. I want to ask you this morning, do you love the brethren? Do you love the brethren? Again, that's a sign of sonship. That is a sign that God has brought about. That is one of the indicators. That's not the only one, but it is one of the indicators that people need to look at. When, when somebody is doubting their salvation, one of the steps we take them to, again, not the only one, but one of the steps we take them to is, do you love the brethren? Was there ever a time that your relationship with people changed? And your relationship with the brethren now is characterized by love. If there has been a time... That's a great encouragement of the authenticity of faith. But if you say, no, in all honesty, I've, I've always been at odds with people. I've always had conflicts with people. I've always, quite frankly, hated people. Then that ought to be a warning sign to you that something is not right in your relationship to God. In fact, it could even be a sign that that relationship with Christ is not even there. Do you love the brethren? Is Christ at the center of all of your relationships? Is He at the center? You see, that's so important with Christians because we need to understand the way we talk. When we talk to somebody, it's as though we're talking to Jesus. When we do something, it's as though we're doing it to Jesus. That's how it is among believers. Jesus talked about what we do to others is like it's done unto Him. When He's at the center of our relationships, we talk to people and deal with people just as we would if Jesus Christ was standing right there. Because indeed, He is. Is there something you've done to ruin even the most valuable relationships in your life? What actions do you need to take this week, maybe even today, to start taking steps to mend that broken relationship? And finally and most importantly, do you have a relationship with Jesus Christ? Do you have a relationship with Christ? If you don't, you know what you ought to pray this morning? God, create in me a clean heart. Convert my soul. I want Jesus to come and be on the throne of my heart and live his life through me. And at that moment, you may not 
hear thunder or see lightning bolts. But I tell you what you will see over coming uh, coming days, weeks, and months. You'll begin to see that change that Christ makes in a person. If you need Christ, come forward this morning. I'd love to pray with you. If you need a church home with other believers where you can encourage them and pray for them and they can do the same for you, come forward. We'd like to be your church home. If there are some wrongs that you've done or somebody's done you wrong, there's a relationship that God has brought to your mind that needs to be dealt with. You may want to come to this altar and say, God, this week, by your grace, by your help, with your wisdom, I'm going to go and deal with that. Give me love. Give me the right spirit. Give me gentleness. Give me boldness. Help me to deal with that the way you would deal with it. Ask him to give you that. And then go out from here and do what it is that you need to do to make that right.